I was able to share Miss Evelyn's joke that Hebrews apparently is an indication that men are supposed to fix coffee. <clears throat> uh, while I was in Cal, while I was in Colorado, and uh, then I explained to them that's not biblically correct. <clears throat> Hebrews were, are the sons of Eber, and uh, so they put an H on the beginning of it. Hebrews men. Hebrews chapter ten. Look at chapter nine, verse twenty-seven, if you would. This is a critical verse, not just in the book of Hebrews, but a critical verse in human history. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. When a person draws their last breath here, it is assured, it is absolutely certain that they are going to stand before God and be judged. Now, for believers, for people who have trusted Christ as personal Savior, the judgment for sin was taken care of on the cross. The judgment for disobedience as a believer, is taken care of by God in this life. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And if that doesn't do the trick, then it goes on and says, and scourges every son. Scourging is always physical. Chastening can be uh, the look. You know, I I don't know, my mom had a look. When she looked at you a certain way, uh, that was supposed to be <coughs> indication that your party's over. <laughs> if you didn't stop partying, <laughs> then uh, it went from the look to a, uh, a more pressing type of chastisement. And uh, if that didn't work, then scourging. She'd whip off that little plastic belt and pow, 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 pow. And... Uh, so it would uh, eventually result in scourging. Okay, God doesn't use a belt, but man, He can sure get people's attention. So it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, for the for the unbeliever, he is judged according to his works, and the first judgment is whether or not his name is found written in the book of life. Revelation chapter nineteen, verse. 15, and whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay? Lake of fire is different from what uh, the place where believers are now. We call it hell, but it's, it's a place of torment in the center of the earth. And it's a place where the rich man went when he died. And... Uh, he looked up and saw Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom afar off. And he said, Abraham, send Lazarus and dip his t- have him dip his f- finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. So we know it's a place, place of punishment, but it is not the place of ultimate punishment. That's called the lake of fire. Lake of fire contains levels of punishment. People who rejected the knowledge of God in creation and the knowledge of God that was within them, 
but never heard the gospel, they will suffer a degree of punishment in the lake of fire. People who heard the gospel over and over and over and over again and rejected it, those who reviled God, those who, who just did their best to destroy the work of God, and the men of God in this life will suffer greater punishment in hell. And they'll suffer forever and ever. Satan and the Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet, they will all suffer in hell forever and ever in the lake of fire. Okay? So that's the place of judgment. But you say, what, about, what, did, what did you mean when you said uh, they would be judged according to their works? Well, lost people are going to be judged according to their works. Why they did what they did. What they did it for. There will be judgment for those things. But the, um, yes, because there are good people who are going to go, die and go to hell because they didn't get saved. Okay? And, but there are evil, wicked people. Uh, people who just oppose God at every hand. Their punishment will be greater. Okay? Scripture is quite clear. Now, for the believer, we will be judged, but our judgment for sin occurred at the cross of Calvary. Jesus was judged for my sin and for your sin. And once I've accepted his payment for my sin, that's not ever going to come up again because my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. When I stand before God, He's going to look down and say, Oh, I see you. Your name's right there. Come on in. And then we will go to the judgment seat of Christ, which is a large trophy table. And there will be all these crowns. And the 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that uh, our works will be judged. And those things that were done out of love for God, those things were done. Uh, out of obedience to his word, those things will be tried, those by fire, and it'll come out either as gold, silver, and precious stones, or there'll be things that we did that, uh, that were good things, but we had the wrong motive. We wanted everybody to know how good we were, you know, so we could pat ourselves on the back. And, and boy, that hurts. <coughs> and, uh, I, but uh, I, folk, things done like that, will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. You say, what's stubble? Stubble is when they cut a hay field and they got those little pieces of dead straw and dead limbs and dead grass sticking up. The reason we call them stubble is because it feels like your dad's face when he hadn't shaved for two or three days. Okay, for you kids, you know. It's got that little prickly feel. Well, when it's in a hay field and you run across it barefooted, which is the way we always did, it can stop in the bottom of your foot. Oh, hurts like crazy. Bleeds for a little while. But then as you keep running, the dust builds up and clots it. <laughs> but eventually you got to go home and get it taken care of. But, uh, but that's the stubble, wood, hay, and stubble. And those things, when you put them in a fire, boom, they're gone. I mean, just... And then God rewards us according to what's left after the fire's burned up. And we receive crowns. Okay? 
You say, what kind of crown? Well, there's a crown of righteousness. There's a crown of life. There's a crown of glory. There's, there's a crown for people who just love to, to think about and watch for Jesus to come back. Okay? There's a crown of rejoicing for people that we have, have shared the gospel with and they've trusted Christ as personal Savior. Whoa, that's going to be cool, you know. It doesn't matter whether you were the one that helped them to get saved or not, as long as you had a part in it. That's why we we have a special uh, place on our offering envelopes for people to give to missions. Because there are people around the world who are receiving support from this church who are winning people to Christ, sharing the gospel with them over there. And we will get to receive a part in their in those people's salvation because we had a, we had a part in it. That's just really cool. We'll receive crowns for that. Now, what kind of crowns? Well, sometimes in the scripture, Paul talks about uh, the crowns for athletic events. Okay, and those were just little circles of leaves that you put on somebody's head. Okay. If you won the Olympics, they'd put this little circle of leaves on your head. Just regular old green leaves. Laurel leaves often. But you say, well, that's not too cool. Oh, yeah. If you wore those home, when you got to your hometown, you didn't have to pay taxes for the rest of your life. And the town had to feed your family, had to provide for your family for the next year or the next two years or three years or four years. Okay? So the little circle of leaves may not have looked like much, but, man, it was important. Really cool. So uh, that's the, the crowns. You say, well, what will we do with those crowns? Well, we will then have something that we can give to Jesus because he paid the price for us to be there. Because you can't take anything to heaven with you. Okay? I mean, that's the treasure principle. You can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead. And you can have it waiting for you there on the trophy table. The judgment seat of Christ when you get there. That's just, that's cool to me. Okay? Now, let's move on. To chapter 10, verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not, the, and not the very image of the things which can never with those sacrifices which they offer year to year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Say, what? What he's saying is the priests coming into the temple every year and putting their blood on the mercy seat, sprinkling blood on the mercy seat, was a picture Okay? It was a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. That's why we read and study in the Old Testament about all of those various laws and all of those various pieces of furniture that went into the tabernacle and the temple. And, it, and if you're not careful, it'll get really, really boring and you'll say, man, who cares? But the reason we ought to care is because it was a, it was a model made after the tabernacle that was in heaven. And the laws were, were a shadow of what Jesus was going to do for us. 
Because nobody can keep the law in every point. I mean, people, even people who always try to drive under the speed limit sometimes find themselves with that speedometer inching just over the line because they got distracted or because somebody went flying past them and they, they started going with the flow of traffic instead of just but watching that needle. I mean, you can't watch the needle all the time. You've got to keep your eyes on the road. You've got to look in your rear view mirror and your side mirror and this side mirror over here. And, and if somebody's with you, then you've got to try to listen to them talk too and not be distracted. So you're going along. Nobody can keep the law in every point. I mean, it's just impossible. And so the Old Testament sacrifices were a picture of what it cost for Christ to forgive us and to save us. Because the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. We find that in verse 4. If these things could have made us perfect, could have made the people making the sacrifices perfect, verse 2 says, then, they, then would they not have ceased to be offered? I mean, once you're perfect, you don't have to keep offering sacrifices for sin anymore. Because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. They weren't guilty anymore. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. So the sins weren't paid for yet, but the interest payment was paid. Okay? Borrowed money one time. Bunch of money. Way too much money. Didn't have any way to pay it back. So the banker said, okay, you don't have to, you pay just the interest for the first two years. Okay? Which was way less than the payment. Okay? So every day, every month, I would go in and take him a check for the amount of the interest only. Okay? And then after two years, we had to start paying on the principal. Well, we spread it out over 20 years. But. See, what do you mean, but? But. God doesn't work that way. God has what he called a balloon payment. Okay? What's a balloon payment? Well, the principal was paid every year. And then all of a sudden, the whole amount was due. That's the balloon. The whole thing. Principal and the interest has already been paid little by little by little by little. But now the balloon payment comes due. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Well, in our case, Jesus came and burst the balloon. He paid the principal off. And now I don't even have to make the interest payment anymore because there's no principal to pay on. That's what, hap- that's what was happening in the Old Testament. Every year, the high priest would bring in the blood of a goat or a, or a, 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 a lamb or a bull, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and that would pay the interest until the day when, wham, the whole payment came due. And Jesus, as the Lamb of God, came and paid it. Whoa! And you know who was supposed to pay it? You know who owed the debt? Yeah, all of us. Every one of us. Jesus paid it for all of us. That's why we sing the song. 
Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He paid it all. Verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Why? Because the debt wasn't paid. Then said I, this is from Psalm 40, by the way. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book has written of me, I come to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering many times, oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Is that significant? Yes. If you study the furniture of the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple, there were no chairs. No chairs. Why? Because there was no time when the priest was not to be active. If he needed to rest, he had to leave the tabernacle or leave the temple and go outside and rest. Because when he, as long as he was in the tabernacle or in the temple, he had to be busy offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. But Jesus offered himself one sacrifice for sins forever. And then guess what he did? He went and sat down the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because his job as a priest was finished. Now the only thing he has to do is mediate. People pray, and Jesus says, Father, let's answer that prayer because that one belongs to me. Okay? Lost people, Jesus doesn't hear their prayer. Say really? I when I was lost, I used to pray, and yeah, I know. And often He will answer the prayers of believers who are praying the same thing you are. But God doesn't have to answer the prayer of any person that's not saved. It's kind of like this. When I was in, well, let's see, third, fourth, fifth grade, I would always go to my dad on Monday morning and say, "Dad, I need lunch money." And he would give me lunch money. And I would take the lunch money to school, pay for my lunch. Never did I go to the neighbor's house. They had four boys too. Okay, They were in the same grades that my, me and my brothers were in. I never did go to their dad and said, hey, Mr. Rosner, I need lunch money. Why? He wouldn't have given it to me. Why? I wasn't his kid. His boys never came to our house and asked for lunch money because they weren't, they weren't part of our family. Okay. By the same token, if a lost person comes and asks God for something, God doesn't have to do it to him. He doesn't have to do it for him. Why? Because they're not his kids. God takes very good care of what belongs to him. 
You say, well, then does God ever hear, ever hear the prayer of a lost person? Oh, yeah. The very first prayer I ever prayed that God heard was when I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. And he answered it. And what's cool about that is not only was I forgiven for sin, but that set the pattern. So that all my life, if I ever ask anything in God's will, God did it. Just like when I got saved, because it was God's will for me to get saved. It's God's will for, uh, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if everybody would come and pray and ask Jesus to forgive them, He'd forgive them all. But He is not obligated to answer the prayer of unbelievers. Nor does He. So, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. And from henceforth, expecting till His enemies should be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That's what happens to believers. That's why people need to get saved before they try to clean up their lives. You try to clean up your life and so that you can get saved. It doesn't work that way. No. You come to God and He will clean up your life. And what's interesting about it is He doesn't deal with everybody about the same thing at the same time. Okay? Okay? He deals with different people about different things. And so when you see somebody who claims to be a Christian and, and they do things that you think Christians ought not to do, then you don't have any authority, any right at all to go to them and say, you're sinning before God. You shouldn't be doing that. Okay? Why? Because it's not your job. Your job is to give them the truth in love. That's a lot harder than it sounds, by the way. Because it's easier to give people the truth and slap them in the face with it. You know? No, we're to share the truth with them in love. And allow the Holy Spirit to work on them. While I'm chewing on you about not smoking, the Holy Spirit might be dealing with you about lying. Okay? While I'm ranting and raving about Christians shouldn't drink alcohol... Holy Spirit might be dealing with you about pornography or about romance novels, which is a form of pornography, or about this, that, and the other. Okay? So as a pastor, I'm to share with you the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit point out your sin. And I don't mind naming them when the Scripture names them. Okay? But I can't pick out yours. The only way I can pick out yours is if I cover up mine. As a pastor, I don't have any right to cover up mine. In fact, I ought to deal with mine first before I start dealing with yours. Okay? Here's what he says. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. 
Verse 18, for now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? When he said, it is finished, and then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and he gave up the ghost. What was the next thing that happened? Does anybody remember? The veil in the temple, 90 feet tall. Thick, thick, layer after layer after layer after layer of cloth, cloth embroidered with gold thread. Like a huge, thick quilt. That thing began to separate at the top, and it ripped from the top all the way to the bottom. Now, Samson, as the strongest man in the world, might have been able to get a hold of the bottom and start it tearing. But nobody reaches up 90 feet and grabs something and rips it. And it ripped from the top to the bottom. So that everybody could look through the door of the temple into the holy place and see the incense altar and the candlestick and the table of showbread Actually, in the temple, there was like six candlesticks. Six? Twelve? I don't remember. Anyhow, several. Okay? And could look through there and see into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Everybody had access. Because Christ had paid our sin debt. And when He took His own blood and offered on the mercy seat in heaven... We all have access to God. That's just, I mean, I don't know any way to say it, except that is really, really cool. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, through his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a True heart, full assurance of faith, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke each other. It doesn't say each other, but it's the, it's, that's the thought. Let us consider one another to provoke each other unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day when Jesus comes back. Wow. We're going to pause there tonight. Man, we need to get that in our minds. Our sins have been bought and paid for. We have access to the very throne of God. That's why we can pray with confidence. 1 John chapter 5. Flip over there. It's just a few pages. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 
11. That's where we'll start. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Well, if you don't have life, what do you got? Death. I mean, that's pretty plain. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have, that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Do you pray with that kind of confidence? You ask God what his will is, and when he reveals his will, then you ask him to do that, and then you just sit back and relax. This is the confidence that we have in him. We ask anything according to his will. We know he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. That's way cool. We can then say, thank you, Lord. It may not be here yet, but we know it's on the way. Okay? Totally unlike when somebody owes you money and they say, oh, yeah, the check's in the mail. Okay? You, may not, you don't have any confidence that the check's really in the mail. But when you pray to God in the will of God, you can know. That the answer is on its way. If we know that he hears us, whatsoever we have, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Several responses, perhaps the most spiritual, most scriptural is hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because Jesus offered himself as the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Couldn't have used an angel. Nope. Couldn't have used a human being. Had to be God being born as a human being to pay the sin debt of every human being. Now, why do you pay the sin debt of everybody if everybody doesn't get saved? Because the only way to make it fair. God is not willing that any should perish. So he has to pay the sins of everybody. So how come they die and go to hell? Because they don't accept the payment. Okay? I can offer to buy your lunch. But if you say, no, Brother Casey, you're not going to. I'm paid for my own lunch. There's nothing I can do to make you take the money. Nothing I can do to buy your lunch. By the same token, if you don't love God and you don't want His forgiveness, He's not going to make you go to heaven. You'd be miserable. Up there with all those holy rollers, all those people praising God all the time, all those people who are always happy, always got their little smiley faces on, you know. He wouldn't make you do that. The only alternative is for you to separate yourself from God forever. And he lets you do that. 
and you suffer the consequences. That's the problem with choices. We get to make the choice. We don't get to choose the consequences. You've got to live with those or die with them. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we love you and thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for the service. Thank you for your word. And thank you for bringing me safely home to these people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.